Hey there. Can hey. you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, uh, awesome. Wonderful. How are you, Joseph? I'm doing very well. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining me. You got a couple of minutes so we can talk about all things creativity and uh, life stuff, maybe a little bit more. We'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so thankful for the ask and the opportunity. This is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your time. So uh, do you mind if we start at the beginning real quick? Uh, I, I noticed that you had a lot of work in, in the, I guess, uh, the creative space, not just in, say, poetry or getting things on, on a page, but uh, in perhaps marketing or, or um, advertising. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I've actually spent the last Oh, got like eight, almost eight to 10 years working in the, uh, in the television advertising space. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So how has that been for you in, in general? Do you think it's been a, a pretty tumultuous road? Has it been a fairly, uh, a fairly smooth going experience or, or do you feel like there's a lot of lessons there? Uh, I mean, I do feel like there's a lot of lessons there. I mean, there's, it, I don't, I don't know if I would definitely characterize it as tumultuous, but it is definitely, um, there's a lot of volume. There's a great deal of frequency and there's, a, I mean, there's a good amount of pressure. Um, what I do specifically often requires um, sort of working between, because I work for um, uh, like a fairly large publisher in the television space. And so the way we work with advertisers usually is like, they will solicit us with this pretty like, well, doesn't it's not always in depth, but sometimes they're they're rather in depth sort of um, brand briefs that will detail, you know, who their target audience is, you know, what their what their mission is, what their campaign is. Like you you would behoove yourself to get a sense of like what their voice is and 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 their creative that they air, and um, often they're looking to you know go beyond the traditional advertising space, which would just be commercials and engage more closely with you know their potential consumer and so that often involves aligning with some sort of you know intellectual property integrating into a show or even creating a piece of custom content that borrows that ip because mm -hmm. you know as we all know today you know standard commercials don't really they don't really rate as much as they used to mm -hmm. um and so in order for these, you know, these brands and clients to, um, to engage with, you know, potential consumers, they really need to get into the meat of these shows somehow, or, you know, people mm -hmm. are, people are looking for stories. They're not looking to be advertised to anymore. And so more and more the creative you see coming from these brands feel like stories, like they feel like natural extensions of intellectual property. So for us, you know, it's always a challenge to find a way to, you know, integrate these brands or to tell these brands stories in ways that feel like authentic to the programming and that don't feel like overt advertisements because, you know, people are, I don't think people, I don't think people give people enough credit. You know, people are smart. You know, we can smell nowadays, especially we can smell advertisements a mile away. <laughs> and the minute we feel like we are being sold to or pitched to, we tune out. I mean, we, right. we fast forward, we look at our phones, you know, we, it has to feel, has to feel like a story. And so for, for me, especially, I didn't even realize before I honestly got into the television advertising space, like how much I would really have to lean on, you know, those skills as a writer, because again, you have to, it's not just about like crafting, you know, engaging copy or, you know, coming up with a creative treatment, you need to do so in a way that feels not only authentic to a brand, but it mm -hmm. also has to fit again within the environment and the aesthetic of a particular program. So it's, it's, you know, it's a, requires a lot of versatility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a tremendous sense of problem solving and I'm really fascinated by that because uh, I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you, you might approach this in, in a way that you are, um, problem solving for, for something while you're inhabiting somebody else's body, essentially, or mind and body, right? Because the brand technically would be that other person. So has, has that kind of come easily to you to, to be able to inhabit those, those, um, points of view, shall we say? 
yes and no okay um yes and no like (laughs) i think it it really it really truly depends like Mm. because there are always there are always brands out there that you know we have you know a more you know a more developed sense of familiarity with than others Mm -hmm. so you know if you were to come to me with you know for lack of a better example Taco Bell, <laughs> like I've I've seen enough of their creative over the last you know decade plus to get a sense of who they are, to get a sense of like what you know what their mission is, that you know the voice that they use, the kind the ways they engage with people, versus like you know uh, an insurance company or whatnot that I that I might not be so familiar with, and I I might not know what their particularities are and and who specifically they're looking to engage because it's not even so much like. It's not even so much like you know an, an awareness thing. Sometimes it is just awareness, and now and and in those cases, like it's a little bit easier because all you're trying to do is you are trying to quite literally make the public aware of the existence of this particular brand. Mm-hmm. But you may have a very large brand, like you know who knows, like a PepsiCo, for instance, who is you know looking to do something not for. Pepsi specifically, but what one of their smaller brands that has a very, you know, a more niche audience, a more, you know, niche um, goals. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like you have to understand what those are and you have to work through the obstacles and the hurdles of, all right, how, how do I speak to this very specific subset of people mm-hmm. and either, you know, change their opinion about something or incentivize them to do something like it, it can get very granular very quickly. So, um, you know, it, it ranges, it truly ranges from, you know, something rather simplistic to something very complicated. Oh, absolutely. I can imagine. Um, do you feel that, uh, this is, this is something that you got into, uh, f- um, further in your career or was this career path something that has been with you for a while that, that you've been wanting to be a part of for a while? Oh, I 100% fell into it. Mm. 100% <laughs> fell into it. I knew, like, I've, I've always had an affinity for the television space. I always knew that I wanted to work in television. And to be completely honest with you, I was entirely unfamiliar of what integrated marketing even was before I started working in TV. Like, and, my first role was, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I actually wanted to ask for clarification. What is integrated marketing for, <laughs> yeah, for us in yeah, the nosebleeds? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I actually started like uh, to get my foot in the door. Um, I was my first interview within the television industry was for a marketing job, and that simultaneously at the same company was offered a job as a sales assistant. And I was so you know hungry for work at the time and just to like break in that mm-hmm. I was like, sure, why not? I'll be a sales assistant, thinking that like you know I'll do it for a while and then I'll like worm my way into something more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually learned you know, from my, you know, couple years in sales about the integrated marketing team and integrated marketing on its like, the people probably know integrated marketing um, as, or, or assume they know it as product placement. You know, you're watching American Idol and you see like the judges table and they're all drinking out of Coca-Cola cups. Like that is, that is a, a very sort of overly simplistic idea of what integrated marketing is. Mm-hmm. It's ways that brands can partner with shows to get their marks or their you know insignia into the show in some way uh-huh. but you know that that again like i said it's a very simplistic take on it because it goes it goes well beyond that it is it is you know ways of you know brands can i guess depending on again the level of com- comfort that the you know the production team and the show team has when working with brands like you can you can get a brand like into the actual like plot line of a show. Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like right. you, you could be, you could be watching your, your favorite scripted drama and, you know, uh, some random B plot has something to do with, you know, pizza hut. And you never <laughs> even realized that that was, that that was a marketing play, but it was, you know, it was a backdoor agreement that the show made with the production team mm-hmm. to like find a way to work it in. But again, in a way that feels natural to the show, because again, it's not just about shoehorning, some logo in the background it's it's literally about finding a way to integrate a brand within the landscape or you know the the whatever you what are the webbing of the show that feels like it belongs there and that is again it takes so many different shapes and forms it could be again it could be within the actual body of the show or it could be like a partnership it could be some sort of 
piece of you know content that we script out and create for the brand that borrows you know talent from a particular show or that we make you know in in uh, partnership with the show team so that it feels like an extension of the show and maybe it's something that you see airing in commercial time right as the show like right as you exit the show and right before you start seeing commercials like you'll see a specially made piece starring starring you know whoever Chrissy yeah. Metz from This Is Us or something right. like that. Yeah, and, and, it's, and, that's one example. And you know, the first thing that I think about, and I apologize if this is too sim- overly simplistic, but there's always the story of Mac and me, that old movie mm-hmm. from the 80s and how it was essentially a, a, a ploy for on behalf of McDonald's to create a narrative around their products. Um, mm-hmm. I remember being completely <laughs> in love with that movie and, and just real, realizing that just recently, looking at some, uh, some stuff on the internet where they said, um, yeah, this was this movie. The only reason it exists is because McDonald's wanted to create something, uh, using a, an ET sort of vehicle for their products. And thus the movie was created. And you know, that, that may be on the extreme end of something, uh, you know, that might be too crass or, you know, might not have the right kind of approach for it. But, um, I, I just think that it's, it's interesting that there can be so many extremes to this, but what you're saying, no, just, totally. Yeah. It just seems more nuanced what you're doing. And, and it, it is all about threading that kind of narrative around something that at first glance, maybe you might not organically think that it belongs there, but to give it enough weight, right. To allow it to exist in that world. I mean, that's, or even crafting a new world for that, for that product. I mean, that's just sounds like a tremendous challenge. Uh, I can't imagine what it's done for your creative writing and your your other sort of creative pursuits. Uh, do you think that it's made an impact? I think so. I think so. If if only because like it presents the opportunity to like continually flex that muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, writing and you know especially creative writing and and writing in general is a skill unlike any other it's a muscle unlike any other and you know the more you exercise it the more nimble you become uh, and the more agile you become and you know they might not directly correlate the kind of writing that i do for you know in the corporate world versus the kind of writing that i do for myself but you know it's still it's still creatively challenging and it still forces me every day to like rethink how I approach something and, and it exposes me to, to, to new approaches to, you know, to new ways of thinking. And so absolutely like there's, um, you know, I would say if not overtly, then maybe covertly in ways that I don't (laughs) even realize, like one contributes to the other. Right. I think just, you know, at least for me at first glance, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it's the, the immediacy of, uh, of, of, knowing the structure and hooking people in, because I I think that, you know, just from, from an outsider perspective, it seems like that kind of integrated marketing really makes its biggest impact when, when it's just hooking us in with such a little amount of time. I mean, with, with ads and things of that nature, commercials, I, I just think that like, you guys are always aware of the structure of something. And, and for some of us who are, who are more like pantsers and kind of go along and, and try to seek the inspiration or whatever, it just seems like that, that is such a great skill to have is just that ability to, to look at beginning, middle and end, look at the through line, look at the, the hooks within each scene. And, uh, I just think that's a a tremendous asset that, um, would be just such a beneficial part of your toolkit. Um, Oh, for sure. For sure. And it's not about, it's not about like, you know, again, I think a lot of people, when they, when they think about marketing and advertisement, they think they, they conjure up these images of like, you know, car salesmen, like people, (laughs) people who are coming after you because they're trying to sell you on something. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you know what, at the end of the day, sure. Are we, you know, are trying to convince you that, you know, perhaps, or I should say is one brand trying to convince you that, you know, they're better than their competitors and that you should, you know, you should focus on them. Sure. But at the end of the day, like when I pour through these, you know, these brand briefs, what have you, when people talk about who they're trying to, who they're trying to engage, like they use that word engage. They don't mm. use, you know, sell that they're not trying to dupe anybody. They're not trying to like, you know, they're, they're not trying to in some way, like, you know, undermine your own thinking. Like they mm-hmm. are quite literally looking to yeah. communicate with a set of individuals and it's it it really does become a challenge because when you think about 
when you think about writing characters, for instance, you're, you, you have to put yourself in the mindset of a particular person and you have to think about how they might react to certain stimuli or certain words or what have you. And it's very much the same thing when you're working in, you know, in integrated marketing. You have to think about, all right, what is this particular demographic of people looking for? What do they respond to? How, how do you feel like they would respond to this particular campaign? Like what, how can I talk to these people, not at them. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's very much like, you know, writing from the perspective of two different characters. Beautiful. Now you mentioned something that really struck me, uh, as I was browsing on, on your website, beautiful website, by the way, you had, um, Thanks. this, this little bit about the Costco box and, <laughs> and that's just, uh, just such a fascinating, um, thing. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, what, what you meant by the Costco box in your bio? For those who haven't been to the website yet, sure. Uh, <laughs> I I I really like when I when I try to describe who I am. Like at the end of the day, like the, the it's that that's the metaphor that I continually come back to. Um, you know, it's 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 such a silly little story, but I I you know one of my memories from childhood is like going to you know, what was then Price Club <laughs> with my <laughs> with my mom or my dad or whatever, and like you walking through this giant warehouse full of like all sorts of odds and ends and bits and baubles that are supposed to like a attract you and, and make you want to buy something. And the most exciting part of that whole journey for me was grabbing one of those, you know, empty boxes out of the barrel on your way out that you would then use to like store your, you know, oversized cans of tuna fish and take it and take it home. And like, I, I loved taking like that empty structure when it had was inevitably emptied and like turning it into something, whatever mm. the heck it was. Like I would, I would grab my markers or, you know, a pair of scissors and, you know, make a, you know, make a formula one car out of it or make a spaceship out of it, whatever. Like it was, it was the most simple thing, but it was sort of in a weird way. I, I almost liken it to like an empty canvas for an artist or a painter, which I am most certainly not. My 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 physical art talent, I, I topped out at like, you know, <laughs> grade, like grade third grade. Like I if I were to sit down and draw a person today, it, it would quite literally be a, a circle on a box. Like I still can't draw necks. I can't draw hands. I'm not a physical artist in any way, shape, or form. But to me, what that box represented, like it gave me the sort of starting point to turn it into something else and yeah. to like get inside of it and, and like use my imagination to like sort of build a world. And that's kind of like how I liken myself as, you know, as a writer, like I, I and why I think, you know, I um, enjoy what I do as both a writer and in the marketing space, because, you know, especially in the marketing space, again, like I am presented daily with this, you know, set of basic tools, this, you know, this mm -hmm. particular property, this particular brand, and I have to use what I have in front of me to great effect. I have to like turn that into something else. And that's, I guess, the, the metaphor again, that I keep coming back to, to describe myself. I, I think it's, it's a lovely thing because I, I find that as, as a child, you know, when you, you're not, uh, tethered by any kind of idea or, or compass of any kind, you're, you're still looking for, for novelty, for transformation within the ordinary. And, and I just think that's such a wonderful thing where that, that you shared with us. So I really appreciated that. Um, being um we're, and and just to to clarify here for for my own uh purposes here were mm. you for, are you from the east coast are you yes yeah mm -hmm. yeah born and raised born on the east coast oh okay um i'm i'm curious of what your experiences were growing up and in, in discovering or refining your creative um your creative pursuits did you did you want to do something more more theater based i i saw i i saw mention of a musical writing a musical to convince your parents to go to Disney world. That was another thing that, that intrigued me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just for my own curiosity there. Oh man. I mean, like I definitely, I don't, know, I don't even know where to begin with that one because it's <laughs> like, I, you know, I, um, you know, my, my relationship with creativity and, and, you know, inevitably becoming a writer started, as I think most kids do, you know, as a reader. Um, and, you know, I had an affinity for words. I had, you know, pretty decent word retention to the point where particular stories that I had an affinity for 
um, I would commit to memory. Oh, wow. And my, my parents would tell me all, all the time how I would ding them as a child if they were telling me, you know, reading me a familiar story. And, you know, were they to skip a word or a phrase, I would be like, no, 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 that's not how it goes. <laughs> like, I know you skipped something. <laughs> and, you know, for all I know, I like this is a totally common thing, but I, I know that I like I would never apparently I just never let it slide for them. <laughs> and so, you know, as things went on, obviously, you know, you grow up, you start, you know, you learn to read yourself, you fall into these, you know, these particular, you know, you find your genre, you find your, you know, the sagas that, that appeal to you. Um, and, you know, so, so for me, it was like, you know, going to the school and going to, you know, the scholastic book fairs and, oh, you know, reading, yeah. reading, reading the hatchets of the world, which will inevitably lead to like, you know, the animorphs or, or you know, something mm -hmm. that, you know, these worlds that you fall into that you like want to become a part of. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, you know, again, sort of naturally led to an inclination towards theater because I liked, you know, I liked that ability to you know, play in other worlds that people created. So I did, you know, I did for a time, you know, spend some time, you know, acting like in high school and community okay. theater and never, never really went past that. But for me, it was, I think I, I found out from a very young age that I was, I excelled at building off of worlds that people had already created mm. versus being like a world builder myself um, interesting and so so like i very much enjoyed that and it, it's funny because when when it came to writing again like it, it very much mirrored that like i it writing at first wasn't something that i i don't know if i if i really knew it or believed it to be something that i could seriously pursue but all i knew is that like i i enjoyed doing it and mm -hmm. you know i took uh, in high school, I took um, one of one of my courses in the high school senior year was a study of the contemporary novel, and I remember one of our one of our assignments was to um, write a creative, you know, a, a creative piece that mirrored the style or the form of one of the writers that we had just read. And wow. I chose at that time I chose um, to write a piece that was informed by Michael Cunningham's The Hours. Uh, and, you know, for those who are, are, are not familiar with it, you know, it's a story that is told from the point of view of three different protagonists who are all sort of interrelated, um, and each chapter shifts between the three, but they're, they interconnect. And so I decided to write a story that, you know, instead of, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like, in, in the book itself, it's, you know, it, the point, it's told from the point of view of um, Virginia Woolf of uh somebody who is currently reading mrs dalloway mm -hmm. and then somebody whose life sort of mirrors that of mrs dalloway's and i you know was and the the woman who was who played the the third person i just mentioned uh was played by meryl streep in the movie and oh, so right. i decided to write i decided to write a story from the point of view of Michael Cunningham writing the hours, Meryl Streep like getting the role of, you know, that she played in the movie and somebody who was reading the hours. And it was quite literally the first time I ever had a teacher come back to me and say, hey, can I keep a copy of this? Oh, that's lovely. So I thought, I thought to myself, all right, well, you know, I guess I guess I did a pretty good job. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that, that I guess you could say that's like sort of how it began. But um, yeah, I mean, you, we originally started talking about theater and, you know, I'd live very close to Manhattan. I grew up going into Manhattan all the time. My parents mm. took me to at least, you know, like one show a year. And okay. that certainly was, you know, contributive to my, uh, to my, uh, you know, love of, again, you know, inhabiting these worlds and, yeah. and, uh, you know, just being touched by somebody else's writing, somebody else's creativity. Did your parents, uh, it seemed like they supported you wholeheartedly through, through a lot of your creative pursuits. Was there, was there any point of, of friction or, or conflict, you know, with the arts, um, or was it a fairly benign interaction to make it a family thing, um, in terms of, um, being enriched by the arts at home? I don't think that there was friction. I mean, especially because, you know, they were the ones who really sort of exposed me to that world, but again, like, it, you know, it started as, it started as recreation, like it started as a pastime. And then I, I do recall wanting to initially pursue theater. Um, when I 
was deciding where I was going to go to college and what I was going to study. And, you know, you, you grow up with parents from a different generation who, you know, people who went to school more for, you know, its utility versus, you know, right. because they wanted to pursue something that they were like wholly passionate about. So when you bring up this idea to, you know, you, your father, the accountant and, you know, and, and, <laughs> You know, you, you, both these yeah. two people who, who live in the professional world that, oh, like, I want to, I want to study acting. Like they don't, they, they, there's no friction, but there's a little concern. Like, uh, I don't, mm-hmm. don't know how, like, <laughs> this yeah. is going to actually turn up. Or am I, I don't know, like how safe a choice this is. So we actually, uh, funnily enough, we, we agreed on a mid ground and that mm-hmm. I would, you know, I, I could go to school and I could study like something that was tangentially arts related. So I went to school instead for like television and video production instead of, instead of theater. But that was where the, I guess the friction began and ended. Mm, okay. Okay. Good to hear. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you um, what, what led to, to making that choice to go to school for a, uh, I guess a middle ground um, or something like, like film. What was your experience like uh, over at Rutgers? Was that right? Uh, yes. You, yeah. Did you have a very positive experience acquiring uh, some some things uh, for your craft? I did. I did very much so. Um, what I very much liked about the program that you know that Rutgers had was that it was it was incredibly immersive. Like it was not um, it wasn't sort of myopic. Like we were very much encouraged to explore all facets of like the the film creation process. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were tasked with screenwriting. We were tasked with learning how to, you know, how to work with, you know, programs like final cut. We were tasked with learning our way around, you know, a set, learning how to light, learning how to shoot, learning, you know, learning how to edit. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were, you know, it was not theoretical. It was not mo- a lot of book learning. It was very mm-hmm. practical. And what was great was that, the uh, you know we worked with a range of pro- of professors who some of some of whom were documentarians some of whom had more you know had more experience in like the short film scene and so uh and 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 it was a very diverse um you know it was a very diverse roster of, of professors too so not only were you getting different um different perspectives from artists of different disciplines but you were also getting perspectives from artists who were from like entirely different cultural backgrounds mm-hmm. um and so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I learned a great deal. I think about who I was as an artist, and I think like I, I learned a bit more about what my strengths were versus mm-hmm. where you know where my weaknesses were. Yeah. Um. And so, without a doubt, I and and I left with a much more profound appreciation for truly what goes into the process of of creating a piece of film. Sure. You know, there sure. are so many, I think, and I, and I sort of love in a weird way what Marvel has done uh, with, you know, planting these, you know, extra scenes within like the <laughs> mid or the end credits, because like in, in, in a sneaky way, they have sort of for, forced the audience to sit and acknowledge everybody who worked on this gargantuan <laughs> film. Whereas, you know, before they would just be like filing towards the exits. Yeah, so there's there's practicality there um, that is serving the story, right? Uh, there, there's uh, it, it seems like a very useful thing to to do, you know, to get people to come back to the theater and stick around at least. Um, what made you want to go back for creative writing to to continue studying the craft uh, at University of Texas? I well, um, for you know, at least a few years prior to deciding to go for my master's, I had, you know, an, an Italian mother who does what Italian mothers do best and, you know, <laughs> nagged me uh, for a while to think about, you know, oh, think about your master's, think about going through master's, like, you mm. know, it's it's really, it could be really useful to you. Mm. But I, I said, like, time and time again, I was like, you know, I, I'm not saying no, mm. but I don't want to go for my master's until I know exactly what I want to pursue that master's in. I'm not going to go for a master's just for the sake of getting one. So I needed to know, like, because I, I needed to know that, like, I had, like, the belief and, like, the will and the passion enough to pursue it simultaneously with holding a full-time job. Because I knew if mm-hmm. I was going to go for a master's that, like, I wasn't going to be able to just quit work yeah. and and then throw myself into it, like, full-time mm-hmm. so it was going to be something it had to be something that i wanted enough to you know devote the nights and the weekends and uh and and all of the additional time it took to to do it mm-hmm. um 
And so it, again, it was sort of something that I backed into because I, you know, I was working, I, I was working at the time. Finally, I would worked my way into a marketing role in the television industry. And at that point I had gotten enough, even, you know, as an employee, at a, at a relatively junior level at that time, I had been given enough opportunity to try my hand at writing ad copy, to try mm. my hand at writing like creative treatments and whatnot. And, you know, it, 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 I was provided with enough opportunity to get a good amount of informed feedback from, you know, from some of the exec, you know, the television executives, the programming executives that I worked with who would say, you know, again and again, like, you know, you're, I, I think you have a knack at this. Like, I think that this is something that you should potentially like look into. Mm. And so, you know, when, when, when people continue to, you know, point you in one direction that you seem naturally inclined, you know, mm-hmm. towards your eyes open up a little bit and you think to yourself, okay, like maybe, maybe this is something that's worthwhile. Like maybe, maybe this, I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm better at this than I think I am. Like, and I say that with all, like all, every ounce of humility that I can potentially muster there. Um, <laughs> But again, like, you know, when, when you get the encouragement of people who are, you know, several steps ahead of you, uh, you know, in their, in their own careers, and they take the time to stop and encourage you, you know, that, that has weight. It has weight. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, a positive influence and it's encouraging. And I think once that happens enough, once people beat you over the head, enough with like the same message and it's coming from like several different sources and several different perspectives you're like you can't you can't ignore it anymore and so i after enough time i i think i said to myself like i i think i want to do this i think that this is something that i want to pursue and it wasn't because i saw a masters as you know the key to unlocking some specific door it wasn't because um you know there were any sort of gates that were closed to me without one. It's I really, at the end of the day, decided to pursue my master's because I wanted to, A, I wanted to see, like, it, it was a bit of a test to see if I was, like, truly any good at it. And B, like, I wanted to be challenged. Like, if I was going to pursue writing seriously, I wanted to put myself in an environment where I was going to be consistently pushed out of my comfort zone and I was right. going to be, um, you know, working alongside other writers and, you know, other, you know, readers, you know, potentially who were going to provide me with criticism. And I needed to see if I could, you know, if I could withstand it and learn from it and just improve upon myself. So that's, you know, where in 2016, I, you know, finally, I, so I finally broke down and I, I said, like, let's just do it. <laughs> so. In terms of mentorship, have you had a mentor, whether it's in your education, in the workplace, or in life, who has made an impact on on these journeys? And do do you have a specific moment that you felt transformed you? I do, <laughs> actually. I don't. I don't know if 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 she would consider herself my you know official mentor, but I had a professor my first semester. Um, in grad school, um, in a class on the lyric essay, and I was entirely unfamiliar before I took that class as to what a lyric essay was. I remembered essays as something from high school, as you know, a sort of like a, a response to a prompt, or you know, a, as being more of like a, a homework assignment than than something that I would voluntarily seek out and read. Mm. Until I began to take this course, and I began to read you know these pieces by incredible authors who were sharing pieces of their life mm-hmm. but doing so in very like non-traditional unconventional ways that felt incredibly creative and at the same time like gave them the opportunity and the space to share something extremely personal and the professor in that particular course was, you know, a, uh, an essay writer herself. She had been, um, you know, she had had a, a book of essays published and she, it, it was, it was the mix of, you know, her championing the work that I was turning in her, you know, exposure of the entire class to all of these amazing authors and, you know, widening our, our, 
understanding of what you know writing and and creative nonfiction could even be mm. that it opened my eyes to an, an entire discipline of writing, an entirely new genre that I didn't even know was possible. Like I I entered transparently, I entered that program believing wholeheartedly that I was a fiction writer. Like my mm. writing sample for my master's program was a work of fiction. And when I exited that course, which, you know, at the end of, I had to write my own, you know, 17 to 20 some odd page lyric essay about, you know, something, you know, something rooted in my own life, something rooted in nonfiction. When I left that course, I was forever changed. And I, mm. I thought, I began to wonder, like, am I secretly a nonfiction writer? <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I learned, that's exactly what I learned over the course of the program. And until, and I took several other courses with this particular professor, some in poetry, some again in creative nonfiction. And she was always, you know, a hundred percent accessible, a hundred percent like available to, you know, to provide feedback and to encourage, you know, encourage people to really consider this as a legitimate path mm -hmm. that when it came time to write my thesis, like I, I knew at that point at the, at the end of that second and a half third year like this this is the discipline for me I, right. I don't think i am a fiction writer i think i'm a nonfiction writer so if i may ask what was the subject of that essay that you wrote for class that you said was 17 to 20 pages if you recall um the subject was um a terrible decision uh, that i had made while traveling abroad to mm. um let's just say uh, you know, have a romantic encounter with a fellow tourist. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, and who knows? And who knew that I could turn that into twenty some odd pages? I, I certainly did. <laughs> oh, that's that's beautiful. That's that's incredible. <laughs> now, speaking of essays, can you tell me a bit about how your your collection of essays, uh, which is called "I'm Never Fine," is coming mm -hmm. out next year, right? Correct. Yeah. What was that process of of making the, this collection coalesce into into one? one project or, or one book? Well, it began to write itself in grad school. Again, I, uh, as I was working my way through the program, I began to realize that, you know, a great deal of what I was writing, whether, whether it was in my fiction courses or my poetry courses or my essay courses, all seemed to draw its inspiration from, you know, a particular period of my life. Mm. And it, you know, as the years went by, as the classes went by, as the assignments stacked up, it became, again, one of those sort of like un unignorable things that there, there's something here. There's something that I apparently need to write my way through because I'm not done dealing with it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And if I'm ever going to get past it, apparently I have to write my way through it because I you know, it, I was drawing from a, a period of my life, you know, I, where I, I had lost, uh, before I entered grad school, just about three years prior to entering grad school, I lost my father after, mm -hmm. you know, a pretty, pretty harrowing battle with pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I, it was, uh, as, as one would assume, like a pretty, a pretty rough period of my life, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I, and, and, and I tried to get past it and all the, conventional ways and you know relying you know leaning on family leaning on friends you know seeking seeking therapy and you know it all seemed to help a little bit but you know i i it didn't really it, it didn't really have the effect that i that i thought it would have and mm. i felt you know myself carrying that around three four years later mm. and it wasn't until you know i was sort of forced in that first nonfiction course to start writing about very personal things in my life that i realized that once i started you know reckoning with these things on paper and putting them down and creating this sort of like physical manifestation of what i was going through that i could that i could like empty onto the page and sort of like put out in the world mm. it was almost it, i i liken it to i i truly liken it to like an ectomy like it, it quite literally felt like I was having something removed mm. that I, I was reaching inside of myself, pulling out something malignant, whatever it was physically, and finally like feeling some separation from it, some relief. And it was because the writing had facilitated that feeling where nothing else really had that I thought to myself like, okay, like there, there is quite literally something here and whatever whatever it is, it needs to be dealt with on a page. Mm. 
Well, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear about your father. That's um, that's heartbreaking, and uh, I appreciate you sharing that with me. But I I feel that that that's just a perfect example of of the power of the written word, where you can have these these sort of um, emotional exorcisms, right? Where you where you're just able to remove those um, those really painful and and traumatic memories or points of your life. And do you think that we as a society should lean more into teaching, teaching our people, teaching our kids, um, those who are in grief or, or going through suffering to use the written word as a way to heal? I absolutely think so. I absolutely think so. And, and, and this isn't to say that, like, you know, we should expect everybody who goes through something to, you know, to make a book out of it. But even if you choose not to share what's going on in your life with the world, there is a, there is a release that comes from just like communing with that blank page and forgive my language, just sort of emptying all your shit out onto it. Mm -hmm. Like the page, the page is is indiscriminate. It will take whatever you have. And there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that comes out that, you know, you might want to keep to yourself. Like I'll, I'll like in full transparency, like anytime I write something that's halfway decent, it's because I have also written five or six other things that are total crap that I would never show to the world. <laughs> but like I had to get that crap out because like we all write bad stuff. Like it's just, it's just going to happen. Like nobody's, nobody's perfect, but the page doesn't care. The page will take whatever you have. And <laughs> you know, there is truly something freeing that comes with, and again, I'm not advocating that, that everybody do this, but for me, like, it wasn't just about putting something on paper. It was that sort of mix of excitement and terror Mm. that comes with putting it out in the world and like sharing it with literary magazines or, you know, people, potential publishers who are willing to give it up, you know, a public forum. And, and, and expose it to readers and, you know, a whole world of strangers who are now going to, you know, get a, get a, a window into an incredibly vulnerable and, you know, and, and potentially dark part of your life that it, you may feel entirely embarrassed to share with the people closest to you and yet are totally okay with like complete strangers just reading, reading these things and, and, you know, developing impressions about you as a person or about your experience. But to get back to your like original question, when it comes to encouraging people to, to process through writing, something that I can definitely say, like, without even a hint of hesitation is that part of my experience in revisiting this chapter of my life when I was writing my collection was revisiting from a place of distance. You know, mm-hmm. I had, I, I began my grad school experience three years, three years after losing my, losing my father. I, when I graduated at that point, I was at like the six year mark. So I was systematically going through, you know, I was rifling through images and experiences that I was, you know, over half a decade separated from. Mm. And because of that distance, I was able to see things and catch things that I hadn't seen in the moment because I was so immersed in what was going on. Right. I, and my, my, my focus was so narrow that I, I couldn't see all of these things that were happening around me. I couldn't see and, and fully understand a lot of signs that, you know, uh, that I was getting from either people or from the universe or, or, or what have you. And it, it was in that revisiting of those experiences and finally having a wide enough, you know, perspective to let all of this other stuff in that it fundamentally changed the way, like the, the, it fundamentally changed that chapter of my life. And, and I no longer see it the way I saw it back when I was in it. Because I, I I was just too, you know, I was just too focused, and I was just too blinded by what was right in front of me yeah. to see everything that was happening around me. So absolutely, I I advocate people writing, even if it's just privately, even if it's just therapeutically, because I guarantee 
anybody who takes the time to like go back and revisit something through writing is going to learn something about that that they had no idea even existed. Mm. Wonderful. And I, I know that um, you're going to be helping a lot of people, especially with your collection of essays. Any reader will be able to see your experience and what you've gone through and, and hopefully empathize and maybe see a little bit of themselves or their history in it. So it's, it's going to be really exciting. So I'm looking forward to your collection. And I got a couple more questions, you know, to be respectful of your sure. time. Um, yeah. No but um, in terms of, of poetry and deciding a medium for what you want to say, because as somebody who dabbles and and is experienced in a variety of different forms, how do you decide what's a poem? What's a, what's an essay? What becomes a, a project that might require more people to come in uh, to to help you bring it to life? Um, how do you how do you follow that, or what's that process like for you? To be completely honest with you, uh, a lot of times the form dictates itself mm. um i i will say that i feel that at the outset it's a little bit of gut um but for me like when it comes to differentiating for instance between like what i'm going to put in essay form and what i'm going to put in uh poetic form for me it's often dictated by what it is i'm dealing with if i'm dealing with something that for instance takes place over a protracted period of time mm. and that i know is going to need more real estate automatically i start thinking to myself like okay there's an essay here <laughs> if i'm dealing with something that's smaller but still just as profound whether that's an image or you know uh you know a a memory whatever it is if, if it's something that is small in scope but sort of like still deeply profound especially if it's like something that you don't quite understand why it's stuck with you because there's there's really no overt reason for this to have affected you this very small tiny thing in such a profound way that to me feels more poetic because mm -hmm it it's a little bit more abstract you might not quite even fully understand why itself is you know is is so impactful to you to me i try to start exploring that via poetic language because it requires a sort of unconventional process of breaking it down and sort of building it back up and again like at the end of a poem you still might not fully understand <laughs> the profundity of it all but you know it's 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 an exercise in trying to sort of break it down and figure out what it is and maybe as as i said maybe at the end you still don't quite know but you know that that poetry allows you to physically manifest that confusion in in a, in a weird way it like it allows you to take the pieces that you have assemble them in a way that's like somewhat coherent and allow the reader to mm. to you know perhaps decipher what you what you mean what you're trying to say like and and a, a great deal of time it's often the readers that like point you in the right direction and illuminate something that you didn't even know mm -hmm. i mean for me especially uh, almost anything that i've ever published has been seen by another set of eyes mm -hmm. you know i and and i i rely on you know on former former fellow students from my master's program who are now friends and i i had even throughout the the crafting of my collection mm -hmm. time to time if i was working on a draft like i would ask i would ask a friend that would I, I would ask somebody like a third party observer i'm like can you can you read this and let me know like mm -hmm. if i'm onto something here or if i'm totally and completely off and mm -hmm. nine times out of ten you know that individual will they'll pick up on something that will illuminate the path yeah. like to the finish line like and and will expose you to something that half the time they'll they'll point out something that you're trying to say without even you know without even you knowing that you're trying to say that right so for me like it, it is absolutely a group process you know the writing does happen alone but no i, I mean no i think successful book 
is ferried, you know, across the river without the help of somebody else. You know, you need, you need a co-captain, you need people to read and respond to your work because, you know, we are, we are biased. Ultimately Mm -hmm. writers are biased. We, we, as much as we seek perspective, we often, you know, can, can be blind to ourselves. (laughs) And so we need people to, you know, to help point out where something might be failing, where, where, where at moments where we think, you know, <laughs> somewhat arrogantly that we're being, you know, our true, our truly most artistic, profound selves. And then you put that in front of a person and they're like, I have no idea what you're trying to say here. <laughs> so like you, it, you have to absolutely open yourself up with all any amount of modesty and humility to readers, especially when your writing is raw and when it's new, because that it, it's in those moments that you can, you can redirect and you can, you can find the piece that wants, wants to be made. Absolutely. So, um, I, I have so many questions, especially in regards to poetry, but I know that we're almost <laughs> running short on time, but Hey, sure, maybe, sure. maybe at another time, but what, what are some things that you're reading right now or experiencing, whether it's media or, or written stuff that's really inspiring you and taking you on a, on a journey to somewhere else? So I've been reading a great deal of nonfiction lately. Um, I've always been a bit of, well, not always, actually, that's a complete and utter lie. After, <laughs> after graduate school, I became uh, a, you know, a, a creature of nonfiction, um, mostly because like, I just have like, such a deep respect for what you know, essay, creative nonfiction, biography can, can do to you know, educate us, you know, how, how we can learn from the life stories of, of, you know, people that we so like greatly admire and maybe people that we don't even know from a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I work through the revisions to my manuscript and start working with um, my editors, I think actually next month, I've just been so drawn to, you know, to fellow creative nonfiction writers, perhaps for some inspiration and perhaps even for some release because, you know, there it's, you know, being able to jump into like the fantasy world of fiction is fantastic, but I, there's something deeply personal and if you'll forgive me, almost even slightly voyeuristic Mm -hmm. about an individual who is so willing to let you into Mm. their life, like without trying to color it with, with, you know, metaphor or fictionalization Mm -hmm. that, I, I, that feels to me, at least right now, more transportative than any fantasy world could possibly be. So mm-hmm. I just, um, the last book I just finished actually was um, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wound up watching on a flight a couple of weeks ago, I wound up watching the film Roadrunner, which is a documentary um, all about him. And I, oh, wow. as, as much as, uh, as much as a sort of like, you know, culinary appreciator that I am. Um, like I'd always sort of known who Anthony Bourdain was without actually knowing who he was. I didn't really truly watch a lot of his programming. Um, but I was intrigued by the film. I watched it, you know, on a cross country flight and was so taken in by like this character that he was not just, not just the fact that he was a chef, but that he was sort of like, you know, he was like, he was like, he's a mixture of like, Julia Child and like I don't know like <laughs> like Keith Richards I yeah, mean like it's this yeah. rock it's this, he's this rock and roll star in the kitchen who like doesn't give a shit what you say he doesn't he doesn't like give into pretension like he was and he and he was I guess very sort of like like myself in a weird way not at all to compare myself to him but he was sort of an unlikely um chef in that you know it wasn't something that he knew from day one it was something that he wanted to do it was something that he very much fell into um out of necessity out of the need to make a few bucks the guy started working like washing dishes and then was exposed to this world you know behind the kitchen doors that just illuminated everything and Mm -hmm. and it laid out the path for him you know in front of him so i it was a fantastic book. I didn't really know what I was getting into when I started when I started reading it, mm-hmm. um, but absolutely became enamored with it. Um, I've been reading a lot of a great deal of nonfiction about like inspiring creatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of towards the end of last year, I, w- I read uh, Brian J. Jones's biography of Jim Henson, who I, I've been a Muppets fanatic ever since I was a kid, <laughs> and so being able to learn again, again, here we go, like another story about another man who 
started out wanting to be like a serious filmmaker and began working with puppets on television just as a means of like getting into the industry, never fully <laughs> expecting that his life would revolve around puppets. Like just he would, regardless of wow. all of his other wants and pursuits. I mean, that's, that's what we know Jim Henson as, like as the Muppet guy. <laughs> and so now because of just how fantastic that book was and how much I admire Brian J. Jones's writing and his attention to detail, I've, um, I'm right now about close to halfway through his biography on George Lucas. So mm. um, again, another fantastic book, but um, essay wise, uh, I will always make room in my life for David Sedaris. Uh, I think he's quite possibly one of the best essayists ever, uh, not just contemporary. I, I think just potentially ever, like I've, I've never ever encountered another writer who can make me quite literally like split my sides laughing <laughs> just through the written word, like David Sedaris can. Mm. And um, I just, I, 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 if, if there's ever a fountain of youth discovered, like I want him to be at the front of the line because I don't know if I could ever quite envision a world without his, his humor in it. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. So one last question. And I, I know that we talked about this just a little bit in, in one of your previous uh, answers there, but I'm curious of what your thoughts are on why we need the arts now more than ever. What, what do we get from the arts that we can't get from anything else? I mean, the arts in really, and this is, this is difficult. It's a to big say question. I know it Sorry. Like, yeah. I know it's a big question, but no, like my answer, I don't want my answer to sound like a generalization, but when I think about like every medium of the arts, whether that's, you know, painting, whether that's, you know, theater, whether that's writing it, it, at the end of the day, it all boils down to the same thing. It's all reflective of the human experience. It reflects our world back out at itself. And it exposes us to uncomfortable truths. It exposes us to things that, you know, we perhaps seek to avoid and then all of a sudden confronts us with it and we're forced to reckon with it. And, you know, we we need these reminders. Like we we need to see ourselves, you know, on canvas on the page, on the stage, on film, because again, like it, it is an experience wherein we are held captive, even for just a brief moment, and are very, very much forced to look at ourselves in our most perfect and imperfect moments. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find an individual who in some way, subvertly or covertly, hasn't been changed by a piece of art that they've witnessed or read or experienced. Even if they don't know it outright, it has influenced the way that they see the world. It has influenced the way that they commune with people. And if we don't hold that mirror up to ourselves, we are just going to be stumbling around blindly, entirely ignorant of, you know, of things that are very crucial to know. That are, are that are that are fundamental to our you know our emotional evolution and you know our ability to commune with others mm -hmm. and again that may sound like just a completely general and simplistic answer but that is truly at the end of the day why I believe that we need the arts because it speaks to us in a way that again just forces us to reckon with ourselves both broadly and on a very like on a very personal scale mm. beautiful note to end on i i appreciate it joseph thank you so much for your time and as with any complex and and super talented person i could i could listen to you talk about craft and all of these little nuances of the of the pursuit all day. I mean, this, <laughs> I, I really appreciate your time. Um, but, uh, I'm going to be putting all of your, uh, content links in the, uh, podcast description, but if there's anything that you'd like to highlight right now, just, uh, shoot me an email, let me know, but I thank you so much for your time and for all you do. And I hope that we can connect soon, especially when your novel or your collection of essays comes out. I'm really excited to take a look at that. And, uh, I wish you the best. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been, I, I always love the opportunity to have discussions like this and, uh, you know, it, um, 
it's if the beginning of the week is Sunday, then we've started the week off fantastic. So thank That's you right. for this opportunity. <laughs> it was it was it was awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joseph, and I'll talk to you real soon. 